Numbers chapter 13. We're going to begin a series today. I know it's going to take at least two, three weeks. Two weeks, I can say definitely. Um, and I want to just share, um, I have noticed over the years, and this is kind of where this stems from. Um, I have noticed as a pastor that uh, I have observed and talked to a lot of other pastors and found out a lot about what's going on in other churches, and obviously I know what's going on in our church, and I've always marveled that um, a scenario will be presented to me where, for example, um, I, I shared this one time, I was at a conference years ago, and I was working on a resolution in a side office, and the secretaries were in the one office, and, and man, they were gossiping up a storm, you know? And I'm sitting there listening as a pastor, and I'm like, oh, this is not good, you know? Uh, and it's not my place to go and talk to them. And then it was shortly after that that we had something similar go on in our church. And in fact, I found out that that church ended up having a major split. It was just horrible. And we didn't have a major horrible split. Not then, you know? And, our, and, and I things like that where I think this very scenario happened here and ended up destroying a church, but it's, it's also repeated in other places, but it doesn't destroy churches. And, and I've always marveled, it's like, what's the difference? You know, why is it that, and it's, this is the case with so many different scenarios. You'll hear someone that's in a situation, and you'll, you'll think, oh, I could not imagine it. And you'll hear what happened because of that situation. And then you'll see it go on in another believer's life. And it's a totally different outcome. And I marvel at that. And so what I want to talk about in the next couple of weeks is, how do you interpret what's going on around you? And why, why are there so many different responses and most importantly, what about our response? And how do we look at things? Perfect scenario. Let's go here to Numbers chapter 13. And you're familiar, we've, we've looked at this so many times, and I love this. And I may spend the whole time here, and that's okay for me. I'm having a good time. But turn to, look at Numbers chapter 13, and look at the instructions that were given to the 12 spies. Now, there were 12 spies in Israel. God had promised them the land of Canaan. They were, just, they were delivered out of bondage. And God, who is the owner of all things, you know, he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cattle and the hills. And he was, he was going to give this land to the Israelites. And now they were going to go check it out. Look at what his instructions were. Verse 17, Numbers 13, 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land and said unto them, Here were their marching orders. Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad. And what cities they be that they dwell in, and whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood or not. 
So he wants them to go and give a thorough examination of what's ahead, right? And, and he's, he's giving both sides, isn't he? He's saying, wouldn't you agree? I mean, he's just saying whatever it is, whether it's good or bad, I want to know, I want you to come back and give a report of exactly as you see it because we need to know what we face. And so 12 guys go out there and they go, they, in fact, we follow their path. They all checked out the same stuff. They all saw the same stuff. But when they came back, you'd think they went to two different places. You've got ten of them. And by the way, they all gave an honest assessment. But the way they interpreted what they saw is what makes the difference. And that's true with us too. See, you and I go through similar things. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, not everybody goes through the exact things or the severity of different things, but you're not alone in whatever you're facing. There are other Christians that are going through similar, if not the exact same thing. There are some Christians that, that are maybe go, have it a little worse than you. There are some that have it. But, you know, we're all going through this life together. And how we interpret it is so important. Uh, and, and just like this, look at the difference. This, this amazes me. Uh, so go back, um, look at verse 26. They went and came to Moses. So they had just returned from searching the land after 40 days, verse 25. And they went back, came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, in the middle of the verse, and they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us. Okay, so they, they finished their mission. And now comes the all-important interpretation. Here's what we saw. And um, so verse 27 Surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Yep, just like God promised, right? The, uh, the promised land. A land of milk and honey. I mean, this is, this is it. And sure enough, this place is, it's got everything we could need. Now, let's go back for a minute. Because when, when God and Moses told them to go spy out the land, you know, he said, I want the good, the bad, the ugly, right? We just saw that. But he also wanted them to couch what they saw with a certain attitude. Look what he said. Um, (laughs) And, um, all right, where is it? We just looked at it. And, um, okay, verse 20. This is the end of him saying, I want, I want an uh, honest assessment. And then the second sentence in verse 20. And be ye of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now that first statement there, the second verse, or the second, sec, second sentence is critical. Be ye of good courage. And by the way, I would sh- submit to you that God is challenging each one of us no matter what we're going through, his exhortation to us, and it's in the New Testament through and through, 
Be of good courage. No matter what. You and I, we're going we're gonna to go through some difficult times. We're going to see some giants, right? I don't mean real giants. I mean, unless you come across an NBA player, but we're not talking about that. You know, we're going to have some real obstacles, things that are giant to us. And it's not that God's saying, no, just don't, they, they really don't exist. Close your eyes and just hum a little while and maybe it'll go away. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying, be of good courage. And that's where ten of them missed it. So they're coming back. They're starting to give the honest report. Verse 27, surely, it's almost like they were obligated. Okay, we're supposed to give back a good report. And it was what God said it would be. So surely it floweth with milk and honey. Yeah, yeah, there's the pomegranates, pomegranates, there's the figs, there's the grapes. Yep, just like God said. All right, check the box off. And now now we, we get this. Ten of them seem to be taking the lead with verse 28. Nevertheless, like put the brakes on. I saw that hope in all your eyes. You know, I saw some of you getting inspired about what's ahead. But let me just, let's take a reality check. Okay? Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And, and you could just imagine the, ten, the tone of the voice. And by the way, they are giving an honest report, aren't they? But they're not being of good courage. I, I submit, or I suggest, and this is not divine revelation here, or divine interpretation even here, but I, I imagine it goes like something like this, the way they said it. Nevertheless, the people... Be strong that dwell in there. The cities are walled. And and they're huge, very great. And and moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell in the sea by the coast of the Jordan. It's like this. you, you You can tell they're kind of getting overwhelmed. And, then, and I think maybe, and again, this is just divine speculation. Probably not divine. It's my speculation. Um, but I imagine it seems that, because it says Caleb stilled the people. Like It's like he must have seen where this conversation was heading. And it's like he said, Put on, whoa, 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 wait a minute, everybody. Caleb, verse 30, stilled the people before Moses. And by the way, sometimes, folks, the tenor of the conversation that we are around or that's going around in here needs somebody needs to say, all right, let's, and sometimes it's the only, if it's in there especially, we're the only ones that can control that. Sometimes we've got to say, whoa, hold on. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to go down this path mentally or we don't want to go down this path in our conversation. Sometimes that's the best thing you and I can do is to put the brakes on like Caleb did. But you have to be able to see where it's headed. Now, can you imagine if Caleb didn't still the people? Every sentence after this, every verse that kept going, it would have just gotten worse. And by the way, it does pick up in a minute because Caleb is only, he's interjecting. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Let us go up at once and possess it. Now look at the end of verse 30. This is a very important. For we be well able to overcome it. Now there's two men here, apparently only two, that have this perspective. And I believe they were being obedient to the command, Be ye of good courage. Now they weren't sugarcoating things. They weren't ignoring it. Uh, uh, don't worry about those giants. No, we, we don't. In fact, we don't even need weapons when we go. No, he's not saying that. But he's taking the challenge of being of good courage because he knows the promises of God are paramount. Now, verse 30 then, you know, verse, verse 30 starts with Caleb putting on the brakes, which he needed to do and we need to do. But then verse 31, the ten spies put the brakes on Caleb's thoughts. But the men that went up with him said, and what did Caleb say? We be well able. Hey, you New Testament believer, what are you going through? What are your challenges? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's your New Testament application this situation in your life. That's the Caleb and Joshua perspective. But these guys say, but, or the, but the men that went up with him said, and what did Caleb and Joshua say? We be well able. And what did the ten other men say? We be not able. Look at I love the, just that contrast. We be not able. And then these guys say, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. That right there is the failure. It's not that they looked and saw the bad things and they, it wasn't that they were, okay, we've got to figure out a way because we do have some opposing enemies here. We've got to figure a way out to go about it. They just were speaking from despair, folks. We, we be not, well, we're not able to do this. We cannot do it. Opposite of Philippians 4.13. Ever been there? Ever been there? You get this sense of overwhelming. I remember having a conversation with a dear gal uh, from our church years ago. She was with the Lord. and I remember she just, she was talking to me on the phone and kind of going in a direction that was, it was such that I just felt despair coming up just from the conversation. By the way, your words are important and powerful. You realize that? You know, what you say can encourage people or bring people down. And she, she, um, she was just kind of sharing, and I think she was a little discouraged. And, and I remember catching on to that and feeling this overwhelming despair like, oh no, we're doomed. You ever felt like that? No, no, I'm the only one, okay. You know, you're like, oh, we're doomed. And, uh, and I've had that happen before. And I thought, man, if, if we follow this line of thought, we're, we're going to have to close the doors in our church. You know, I mean, we're just, this is hopeless. And that's, I imagine that's what Caleb and, or that's what the ten spies were thinking. In fact, you gather from this, their response that... That's exactly what happened. They followed the mentality of the ten and look at what happened. Look at verse 32. And they brought up 
an evil report of the land. That's not just saying they mentioned the bad stuff because that was part of the command. You go find out what it is, whether it's good or bad, whether the land is producing anything. You know, find out what, what obstacles we have. So that was part of it. But when they brought up an evil report of the land, they magnified it. I mean, they really brought it up. And, they, and uh, again, the middle of the verse, the land through which we have gone to search is land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Now, this is totally despair speaking. Do you think when he said that, that that man was, or whoever the men or man that said that, was thinking of what he had just heard from Moses? Go search the land that I have given you, God said. Do you think that was on his mind? I don't. And by the way, when you and I aren't thinking on the promises of God and pushing them, bringing them up in our mind, we're going down. You know, and that's exactly what happens. The people, the inhabitants that we saw, it just eats up the inhabitants. And all the people that we saw, all of them, are men of great stature. Can you imagine? And by the way, this is, I think this is how the devil works. He tends to exaggerate. All the people, Kim, just imagine the report. They're all like nine feet tall. And they're like, I mean, you're, we're, we're doomed. Can you just imagine? And, and that, it's what spread. And by the way, it, it, it's easy to spread despair. It's easy to magnify when you're forgetting the promises of God, whoo! So look what happens in verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, Anak, which come from the giants. Now look at the last part. I love this because this is what happens. Have you ever totally felt sapped of energy and so down and so low? that you were like an insect or a grasshopper. Look what it says. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Okay, you got these giants, nine feet. Do you think that's the way David was thinking when he approached Goliath? You think David came up to Goliath and said, Hey, big guy, I'm a grasshopper who's going to kill you. No, that wasn't even on his mind. And folks, you and I, we have to be so careful. In fact, let me give you the outline. I know it's halfway through the message. but uh, Let me give you my outline. And it's going to be over the next week, or two, two or three weeks, okay? My first point is reflection. The mind. It's probably where we're going to park today. Next time is our response, our actions. And then third is our relationship. So our reflection, how we think, our response, and the response around us, Understand that you will go through things that at least dozens of other Christians have also gone through or similarly, but that doesn't mean you need to respond the way they responded. And then thirdly is our relationship. We're going to see at the end that everything that happens in our life is by design of God. In fact, let me give you this verse. I'm going to quote a couple, three, three, two or three verses that are going to be brought up several times in this little series. Proverbs 19.21. Listen to what it says. There are many devices in a man's heart, 
many devices in a man, man's heart. He's not, we're not talking about iPads and cell phones. Okay, different kind of devices. No electronics. In fact, we're not even talking about pacemakers. You know, we're not. There are many, because this was way before there were pacemakers. There are many devices in a man's heart. The word devices is similar to the root word and the meaning of this translation, this word here. When you think of somebody that devises something, a device, that's the idea. It's your intentions. It's, it's what you're devising. That's the idea of devices. There's many devices in a man's heart. In other words, people have all kinds of things going on in their mind as far as their goals and what they're plotting and what they want to happen and what they hope happens and expectations. I mean, all these things are going on. Nevertheless, Proverbs 19.21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Now these... uh, Two Proverbs and a Psalm that we're going to be looking at now and again over the next couple weeks. This is not the only time in Scripture that the word devices and counsel are used in the same context and they're connected, like they're similar. Again, there are many devices, intentions, the idea, in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Now when we think of counsel... We just think of somebody giving advice. But there's so much more to this word. Uh, it comes from a, a, the Latin word, literally for to consult. And the I- idea is deliberation, or you're examining the consequences. It's somebody thinking through. Similar to devices, it's somebody thinking through. And of course, in this case, it's God. And so, it wouldn't be wrong to look at this word as, you know, nevertheless the counsel or the purpose, the purpose of the Lord, that shall stand. That's what's going to, you know, men are doing all kinds of things, but God's in charge. And you and I can take heart in that. His purpose is, you know, what the Godhead is counseling and figuring out, God's working it all out. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. So, no matter what the Amalekites and the Hittites and the you know all those giants that are fifty feet tall and are you know appro- approaching these poor Israelites, God is in charge. He's bigger than those things. He's bigger than your giants in your life. Now there might be all kinds of people plotting. Against you, and I've said this before, and I'm keeping this in my mind because I'm getting old. I notice that older people tend to, especially when you start losing it mentally, they start getting paranoid. They start trust or not trusting. They start mistrusting people that are very close to them. So, what are you all up to? I'm kidding. But I've, I've kept that in mind that I know that it is a weakness that. I think, and I know the devil does this because he does it to me, and I'm, again, I'm not that old. He wants to put thoughts in our mind to get us paranoid and intimidated so that, so that we're like grasshoppers. Keep that in mind. Remember, he'll, he'll put thoughts in your mind. The devil. The devil does that. Who put it in Judas Iscariot's mind to betray the Lord? Right? I mean... So you and I, that's why the Bible says, 
uh, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And here's the key. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What goes on in your mind is really what you, know, what you interpret, how you interpret your circumstances. Somebody else will go through exactly what you're going through and have a totally different perspective. God has something to say about how He wants you to look at things. Just like here. There's 12 guys. And only two of them caught the vision of how they're supposed to interpret all these things they saw. Ten of them, again, they saw and experienced and went through for 40 days. They slept and drank and eat and walked and hid and, and saw and talked all the same thing. And yet... Two totally different responses. Two totally different thinking. When those ten spies were given the bad report, again, they weren't meditating on the promise of God. They weren't like, go see what the land is that I have given you and be of good courage. Right? Here's the report. Be of good courage. All right, we saw giants in land. Be of good courage. They weren't doing that in their mind. In fact, they threw that out. At least they moved on from the promise of God and we're heading in a totally different direction. And I think some of us do that. We need to be so careful. It, it doesn't take much, does it? It does not take much. In fact, I shared this before that... Um, that's why... That, uh, one thing at a time, lion. One thing at a time. Okay. <laughs> it's so easy to establish habits in our mind. I remember for years, the scientific study was it takes 21 to 28 days to establish a new habit. And I live by that. I mean, if I'm trying to break an old habit, a bad habit, I'm thinking, all right, 21 to 28, 21 to 28. I wish it was only two days, maybe a day. Be even better if it was like an hour. Wouldn't that be great? But then, then a new study came out like just a couple of years ago. I think it was either from Australia or the U.K., and that now they're officially saying it takes up to 66 days. Oh, really? 66 days? So, you know, I don't know. There's no, God does not address that. You know, there's not an obscure verse in the Old Testament where in the Hebrew, God says, here's how long it takes to break an old habit. And it's probably different for each one of us depending on the habit and depending on all that. But the point is, you and I, what's going on in our mind is going to interpret or, or determine how we look at things. You look at somebody that has grown up in a particular country where you drive on the right side of the road and then they go and visit one of them countries where they drive on the opposite side. You know, when we would always go to Grenada with the sinuses, they would always have a driver, a bus driver, who was from Grenada, a van driver. And so we never felt threatened because they drive on the wrong, I mean, the other side of the road, okay? And then uh, the last time I went, and I love Carrie Sinus so much, we were going to go on a trek. We were going to go out handing tracks in one of, the, one of the towns or cities there. But this time it was just going to be Carrie and I, and he was going to drive. And we're, I mean, you're talking in Grenada. We're talking windy roads and stuff like that. And I remember... I love Kerry and I trust him f with many things. But I was scared to death. 
I was scared to death because I knew, like I put myself in his place and it's like, when you're used to just driving on the right side of the road and now you have to totally translate it a different way and, and think the other way, that's not easy. It can get you killed. Well, you know what? You and I are challenged with our thinking. And sometimes when we've established the wrong thinking habits, it's just natural for us to interpret things wrong. And and it can be disastrous. I want to share with you a story that really blessed me. I've shared it one other time according to my notes. It was a while back, but I love this. And, And it's not a real story, I don't believe, but... It has happened a million different ways in a million different scenarios, and it's probably happened in your life. Before I do, one point I want to bring out. In fact, um, there are certain thoughts that if we allow them, if we give them the platform to fester, either in our minds or in our conversations or in a group, it will lead us down a certain road that you can expect. When I pastored a smaller church, I remember when you have less than 20 people coming out, it would only take... In fact, there's a quote I've shared with you about Spurgeon. He says, um, "He says, Doubtfulness and discouragement is an epidemic which soon spreads among the Lord's flock. And, and I, this is, he's not quoting this from like authority. One downcast believer makes 20 souls sad. That's not a statistic where it's like, all right, if somebody's really down and they want to talk, all right, we got to make sure that we don't have 20 people in here. So a couple of you are going to have to leave. That's not what he's saying. But he, he's on to something. That, in other words, our words, it only takes one really downcast person that's been, you know, Allowing the wrong things to fester to just bring the whole body down. Look at Numbers 13. The whole group ended up becoming grasshoppers. You know? I mean, just that's how they saw themselves. Were they grasshoppers? They had the God of heaven giving them the promise that he was going to give them that land. They weren't grasshoppers. The giants were grasshoppers. That's not how they saw it. So, I want to challenge you with what's going on in your mind to realize that you may need to start establishing different thought patterns. If you need to, memorize verses like Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, uh, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any, any praise... Think on these things. Boy, that's a big list. God's, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the Garden of Eden, you know? God is giving us so much stuff that we can feast on. Look at that list I just gave you. I'm not going to repeat it because I'll mess it up. But he's saying, you just think on all these wonderful things. But the Garden of Eden, it was like, okay, see that tree right in the middle of the garden? That's the one you can't think on, or that's the one you can't eat. But what's the devil do? He gets our attention off the Thousands of things we can, the, the thousands of trees we can eat, and he gets us fixated on that one tree we're not allowed to eat. And he does that with our mind. 
so many good things we can think of, and yet where do we, honestly, folks, where, where do we default to in our minds? It's so easy for us to get discouraged, isn't it? I know I'm not alone. I know human nature. It's so easy for us to go down the wrong path. Here's the example. Here's my story. Ready? I don't believe this happened literally as it says, but it's probably happened in your life a million times. Well, not a million. A couple at least. A salesman driving on a lonely country road one dark and rainy night had a flat. He opened the trunk. No lug wrench. Driving on a lonely road. I just, I said that already. Let me start over again. Take two, okay? A salesman driving on a lonely country road one dark and rainy night had a flat. He opened the trunk. No lug wrench. The light from a farmhouse could be seen dimly up the road. He set out on foot through the driving rain. Surely the farmer would have a lug wrench he could borrow, he thought. Of course, it was late at night. The farmer would be asleep in his warm, dry bed. Maybe he wouldn't answer the door. And and even if he did, he'd be angry at being awakened in the middle of the night. The salesman... Picking his way blindly in the dark, stumbled on. By now, his shoes and clothing were soaked. Even if the farmer did answer his knock, he'd probably shout something like, What's the big idea waking me up at this hour? This thought made the salesman angry. Amazing what a little teeny thought will do that pops into your mind. What right... Did that farmer have to refuse him the loan of a lug wrench? After all, here he was stranded in the middle of nowhere, soaked to the skin. The farmer was a selfish clod, no doubt about that. The salesman finally reached the house and banged loudly on the door. A light went on inside and a window above opened. Who is it? A voice called out. You know very well who it is, yelled the salesman his face white with anger. It's me. You can keep your blasted lug wrench. I wouldn't borrow it now if you had. it was the last one on the earth. <laughs> now, I'll tell you why I love that story. Because that's the way our mind works. I mean, before you even enter a scenario, you and I are defeated. I've had people, that I remember coming to church, spitting nails. Nobody ever said anything to them, but something was going on in their heads and they came and just railed on everyone. I mean, it it, it happens over and over again, doesn't it? It happens to you, doesn't it, in relationships? Because what's going on in here? Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. What's the Bible say? As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Do you understand how important what you reflect on, what you think on, how important it is to everything about your life, your take on everything? I've said this before too, recently. I, when I first entered the ministry, I really struggled initially with older people because they tended to be really negative and cynical. And I couldn't understand it because I was like Mr. Jolly 
everything's happy, smile, you know, no problem at all. And now 33 years in ministry, and I'm a miserable curmudgeon. No, I'm not. Hopefully I'm not. In fact, that's one of the biggest challenges of being in the ministry, is having a lot of bad experiences, but not getting sour towards, towards life. Don't be cynical. I said this recently, I'm not sure where, maybe here, maybe somewhere else. Remember what the word cynical means? It comes from the word cynic, which is the root term, the same, same exact root term for the word canine. And when you look up the old English definition of the word cynical, it, because it's the same root as a canine, it's a snarling dog. And, and that described my first experience with older people, Christians, was they tended to be so sour. And then I realized, whoa, hey lion, guess what? You better watch it. Because you're starting to get cynical in your mind and your heart. So I see it. By the way, if you ever see, like, if you ever hear me snarling under my breath, let me know, okay? I don't want to be. And I know now, I, I don't resent older people, or I'd be resenting myself. Uh, now I realize it's all, it's all in what's going on in our mind. Those ten spies... They weren't thinking right, folks. And so they weren't interpreting their scenario right. Now, they could have, I could just imagine them. We're just being a realist. Yeah, you are. And, and that was part of the instruction. But you're not, you're not being of good courage, and you're not focusing on the promises of God. And I want to encourage you. Be of good courage. Focus on the promise of God. And you will interpret life the way you're supposed to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord. These, these are so easy to preach and so hard to live. Uh, Father, we, we fight every day. We wrestle not against, We know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but this is a spiritual battle going on. And Father, what's going on in our mind will determine it all. And uh, Lord, we don't want to become cynical believers. Uh, there is no cynicism where the promises of God are. So Lord, help us to Lift up, not our problems, but lift up your promises. And as we continue this series, Lord, in the weeks ahead, I pray you just help us, help us to have the right mentality, help us to meditate, to think on the right things. And Lord, help us when we, we start going in that wrong direction, help us to be able to be like a Joshua and a Caleb and just stop it, to, to still the people and still our voice in our head and maybe just go back to the promises of God. Help us, Lord, help us to magnify your promises. Help us to, especially in the next couple of weeks, help us to be aware of Philippians 4, that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Thank you that that's our promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books out. Let's stand, and we will close in song.